Well, now I'd like to introduce this morning's scripture reading. As we celebrate this year, the 25th anniversary of the creation of the Order of Deacons, we've invited a number of deacons who are in ministry all around the state of Michigan to pop in to worship on Sunday morning, to share a little bit about the ministry that they've been called to, and also to share a scripture reading with our church family. This morning, we're pleased to welcome the Reverend Cora Glass as she shares a little bit about her ministry in Waterford, and as she shares with us this morning's reading from the Gospel of John. Hey church, it's Reverend Cora Glass. I'm an ordained deacon in the Michigan Conference, currently serving at Waterford Central United Methodist Church. I serve here as the Director of Lifelong Faith Formation. I oversee children and youth programming, as well as Christian education for adults and some of our service and outreach opportunities in our community. My call as a deacon is to help create and form communities where people feel fed physically and spiritually. It's a joy today to be sharing your gospel reading for this Sunday from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, now I'd like to introduce this morning's guest preacher. Today, we're going to hear from somebody who ordinarily wouldn't be able to stand in the pulpit at the Court Street United Methodist Church. Today, our guest preacher comes to us all the way from over in the United Kingdom. Almost 20 years ago, when Jen and I went to live and serve and be in ministry in England, we got to know the Reverend Dr. Paul Glass. Paul was the very best host and mentor we could have hoped for during that season in our lives when we were living far away from home. Paul helped me figure out everything from how to lead worship to how to order off a menu in a pub. Our friendship has continued through the years. Paul and his spouse Janet have visited us here in Michigan a number of times. This morning, Paul is going to come to us all the way from over in the city of Canterbury. I am so very pleased to introduce to you my friend and I am very pleased to welcome to the Court Street United Methodist Church, the Reverend Dr. Paul Glass. Good morning. Uh, first of all, can I thank you so much for the opportunity of speaking at Court Street today. Uh, it is one of, I guess, the glorious opportunities that an otherwise dismal pandemic has thrown up, that connections can be made around the worldwide Methodist family. Uh, I have so enjoyed my occasional visits to your Sunday worship. I've, I've always felt at home and warmly welcomed. 
and it has been a joy to have had both Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Greg Timmons from Calvary UMC to speak to our pupils on various occasions over the past year. So, uh, my name is Paul, and I am a Methodist minister here in the lovely city of Canterbury, about 60 miles south and east of London. The city is home to uh, Canterbury Cathedral, Mother Church of the Worldwide Anglican Episcopal Communion. Now, for the past 14 years, I have been the full-time chaplain at Kent College, which is a Methodist independent boarding school a couple of miles outside of the city. We have nearly 700 pupils in the school from the ages of 1 to 18, and our community hails from over 40 different countries. In the UK, we're coping with the pandemic, just as you are. Over 90% of the over 50-year-olds and health workers in the country have now been vaccinated. And after a tough winter lockdown, our pandemic numbers are now looking good. We pray that that continues to be the case. There is light at the end of what has been a long and dark tunnel. And a number of our churches here in the UK have restarted face-to-face -face worship. Now, Pastor Jeremy and I first met around 19 to 20 years ago now. It seems hard to believe. Uh, at the time, I was superintendent minister of a group of Methodist churches in Yorkshire, in the north of England, and we were lucky enough that Jeremy and Jennifer came to be with us in Yorkshire. Jeremy pastored some churches in our area. One of the churches that I had in my charge at that time was, was a large church, well, by, by British Methodist standards anyway, on the south side of the city of Wakefield. It was a suburban church that had an all-age congregation full of professional, articulate people. Fairly soon after I arrived at that church, we started to have a conversation about what the ministry and outreach of that church should look like. Uh, we sent out a questionnaire to all the members of the church, and it soon became clear that one of the things that was uppermost in the minds of a number of the people in that church was that they wanted to spend some time updating and, and renovating the worship areas of the church. Now, this was more than just a fresh lick of paint. They wanted to remove all of the pews, move a set of choir stalls, light the space differently, and introduce a projection system with large flat-screen TVs attached to the walls. You can imagine, with a plan as ambitious and as expensive as that, there were some voices for it, and there were some voices against there were some who liked the church as it was, who thought the money should be spent on something else. And there were others 
who were really keen to see these changes take place. It felt to me and the stewards of the church as though the numbers in favour and not in favour were fairly evenly split. And we felt that it might be worth just waiting a while to see what happened. Now, I know that that decision was hard for some who were impatient to get on with the work. What do you think was a question I was regularly asked. And my reply of, this is your decision, the Methodist Church will move me on, but you need to own this decision for yourselves, my reply of that was not always popular. The waiting took a long time. After five years at the church, I was moved on, and it wasn't until I had gone and a couple of key members of the church membership had stepped up and, and taken on the project, uh, taken it in hand, and suddenly all took place. Was the waiting frustrating? Of course it was, e especially for some who wanted to get on with it straight away. Was it a tough waiting time? Yes. Was it the right thing to do? Absolutely. The prayer-filled waiting time, waiting for the right set of circumstances and people to fall into place, was absolutely vital. Far more people in the church were happy with the idea when the project finally started. They had had the time and the space that they needed to become comfortable with what was going to be a big set of changes for them. Now, I only mention this story because today we have this really interesting and slightly odd passage from John's Gospel. We haven't heard anything about Lazarus up until now. But we do have to assume that Jesus would have had friendships, relationships with people who weren't able to follow him around the country on his travels. And here is Lazarus, the one whom we are told Jesus loved. And he is sick, really very ill indeed. There's some thinking with some evidence to support it, that at least partially, Bethany was a community where sick people congregated. The name Bethany itself means house of welcome, and there is some evidence that there was care for the sick in an organized way in the town. That's the theory, anyway. So, Lazarus, Jesus' loved friend, is sick. An urgent message is sent to Jesus to tell him that. Now, presumably, the thinking behind that message is, we want Jesus to come here straight away. We already know that he has healed sick people elsewhere. Perhaps he can help. And anyway, he'll want to know. He'll, he'll want to come. He'll want to be supportive. Jesus receives, hears the message, and then waits for two whole days. He doesn't send word 
to Martha and Mary to say, oh, I'm on my way, but it'll be a couple of days. He doesn't start packing his bags. He waits. What's going on here? Why wait? When the need is obviously there and his dear friends are clearly wanting his presence to help, to comfort, to be there for them, as any good friend would, why hang around? Well, there are a number of reasons that would have been at play here. Firstly, Bethany was only two miles outside Jerusalem, and it was an extremely dangerous place at that moment in time for Jesus to travel to. Verse 8 tells us his followers are surprised that Jesus is going there at all. The people of Judea had tried to stone Jesus quite recently, and going back into that region would be asking for trouble. A risky action with some potentially really serious consequences. But there's another reason to wait. Jesus performs seven signs in John's Gospel. Important signposts as to who he is and his purpose. And this the raising of Lazarus is the last of those signs, and by far the most important. The sign that Jesus has power over life and death itself. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. The sign is carefully placed in the gospel story. But more than that, Jesus would have wanted to pray this through, make sure that everything was right before it took place. There is a right and a wrong time for a sign. So many things have to be in place. And as we've already seen, there is some significant danger attached to this sign. Jesus would want to pray and plan carefully, make sure that everything is right, take his time, make sure that it is God's time. I am not very good at that, <laughs> waiting for things. It is not my strongest suit. And so much of life in the 21st century tells me that I'm right not to want to wait for things. Download speeds need to be faster. Access to information needs to be immediate. Even my package from Amazon needs to be here by tomorrow, no, no matter what implications that has for other people and their work patterns. I was talking to some students at school the other day, and I was trying to explain to them what taking a picture used to be like with a camera. Uh, some of you will remember, uh, you bought a roll of film, uh, you replace it carefully into the back of the camera and wind the film on, hoping against hope that the film had caught on those little sprockets on the other reel, because if it hadn't, you'd end up winding it back into the spool at the end of however long it was in the camera, and then you'd have no pictures at all. <laughs> it could take weeks working your threat way through the number of pictures on the reel, sometimes even months of taking pictures. My, my memory is 
that there were usually 24 pictures on each reel. And you would then wind it back into the spool, send it off for developing, or take it into a shop that had a developing machine in it, uh, and then perhaps that would take an hour or two. You'd get a card envelope. You would excitedly flip through the photos, realizing that half of them were out of focus. Uh, you could see your thumb in, in some of the others, and, um, and in many a picture, you'd missed the action entirely. It had happened completely out of shot because there was no way with your camera to get a preview of what had happened. We live in an age that wants everything by yesterday. And of course, we fall into that trap. Here in John, we see God's time, God's purposes at work. A purpose that says, you will need to take your time. Actually, you will need to take my time. And I know that that might be quite frustrating, but it will be worth it in the end. Often, it, it will only be over a long period of time, as you look back, that you will see everything fitting into place. And what seemed like a frustrating wait at the time turns out to be a time when valuable learning took place. Jesus sees and understands the big picture in this reading, the time, the needed time to wait. Because that is sometimes the only way in which God's purposes will be fulfilled. I'm standing here today talking to you in our school's great hall, um, our new 500-seater worship and performance venue. We began talking about it and the need for it 14 years ago when I joined the staff here. It was finally opened 18 months ago. Take time. Take God's time. Don't, don't be sucked into the idea that everything has to happen immediately. There's a lovely book I read a few years ago called The Stature of Waiting. It argues that actually taking our time and waiting for the right time for something to happen is one of the most important things of all to learn. So take your time, try to become attuned to God's time. It will make all the difference. Amen.